0: on today's episode finding the right taper and recovery week strategy with jason fitzgerald welcome to the run smarter podcast the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier stronger smarter runner if you're like me running is life but more often than not injuries disrupt this lifestyle and once you are injured you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host i am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the run smarter scholar so let's work together to overcome your injury restore your confidence and start spreading the right information back into your running community so let's begin today's lesson Lent has officially begun and if you're keeping track of me and my book updates, I have decided to give myself a bit of a business goal for the duration of Lent. So when it when Lent finishes, hopefully I have um, reached my deadlines and the two main sections, part one and part two of the Run Smarter book yeah, are completed. The first draft anyway, send it off to editors, send it off to a few people that... Um, to get some feedback from. And so well underway, the deadlines are there and I've um, been putting in time, dedication, effort to, to try and meet those deadlines. I'll keep you updated on how that goes so far, still on track. Um, today we have Jason Fitzgerald. I was actually meant to have another guest on to, today to discuss the taper and deload all recovery weeks, but I had to make a last minute rescheduling. That guest um, was unable to make it. So I was just thinking, okay, what should I do? Should I do my own research and um, bring forth some evidence? But then I thought, let me reach out to Jason Fitzgerald. If you're not familiar with him, he is a superstar in the field. He's a running coach and the host of the Strength Running Podcast, a great resource of information, one of the biggest running podcasts out there, and reached out to him to come back onto the show because he was on earlier in the podcast, I think episode around 50, something like that. And the episode was, how can I boost my running program? And so I reached out. He was so professional, so helpful, um, jumped on to the call for an interview um, a couple of days later, and we discussed all things to do with a taper, what you should consider in terms of your running frequency, intensity, um, mileage, what sort of adjustments you need to make for the taper to perform at your best for your a race. And then also when it comes to like a recovery week, mid training, exactly how you should adjust those dials as well with the frequency intensity and duration. So it was a great conversation. Uh, I answered a few of your patron questions as well. So thanks for submitting those. And I was so happy that I asked Jason because it just turned out to be an absolute ripper episode. So if you're looking to boost your performance during your marathon or whatever A-race you have, have your pen and paper ready. Jason, welcome back to the Run Smarter Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm so excited to be
1: here. My second time on the show. I'm excited.
0: Yes, me too. And excited to talk to you specifically about tapering and deload weeks because It hasn't been something I've covered. And with your extensive history working with runners, I'm I'm really, I'm glad that you've come on to talk about it because I really want you to share your experience and your expertise in this area. So uh, I guess to start off, because a lot of recreational runners might listen to this or runners of wide variety of experiences, if someone isn't familiar with the taper or that particular phase of their training and also a deload week, would you be able to maybe explain what they are specifically and maybe what purpose they serve? Yeah,
1: sure. So they are two distinct separate things. There's the recovery week. You know, you're saying a deload week that I, I that term is probably more, Borrowed from the weightlifting word world where you know they're literally deloading the the bar that they're using in the weight room. And that's where that language comes from. But it's exactly the same thing for runners, where a deloading week, more commonly known as a recovery week, is simply a week in the middle of your training plan that is easier than other weeks around it. That that is what a recovery week is at its most basic. And typically in a recovery week, your volume will go down slightly. So you might see a 10, 20, 30% drop in overall weekly mileage. And you may also see a reduction in the intensity of the workout or ultimately of the workload in general. So if you run six days a week and you're running, let's say, 100 kilometers per week and you're doing two workouts, so you're training pretty hard a recovery week for you might be only 80 kilometers. You might only do one workout instead of two and it's slightly easier and your long run might be, you know, maybe 5 to 8 kilometers shorter than what it was previously when you were training at your your peak beforehand. So the purpose of a recovery week is I think twofold. Number 1, we definitely want to more physically recover from all the hard work that we're doing, all the hard training that we're doing. We want to make sure that our bodies are actually absorbing all that hard work and we're getting all those adaptations that we're actually looking for. So a recovery week is really there to put your recovery, you know, up on a pedestal. We're going to really focus on recovery this week because we're taking a dramatic step back in our training. Now, the other reason why you would want to take a recovery week that I don't think gets talked about enough is the psychological component to this. You know, there's certainly a lot of mental benefits that happen when you take a recovery week. And, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I want runners to be excited about training. I want them to be motivated. I want them to be driven to train hard. It's really hard to do that. If you're not giving yourself the rest and recovery that you need. So if you're in the middle of a 16, 18, maybe 20 week training cycle, and you don't have any recovery weeks, you are essentially building or maintaining your workload over the course of that four to five month time period, week after week after week. It's really hard to maintain that from a psychological perspective. It's really easy to burn yourself out mentally from always trying to run more or run faster or run more frequently. So the recovery week is there to give you a bit of a mental break from training so hard. You know, you're, maybe, maybe you take one more day off from running than you normally do. Your workout's easier. Your long run's a little bit easier. You don't have to run as much every day. It feels like a vacation at the end of the week. And at the end of that week, the goal is to get the runner to a place where their body feels good, but they're also itching to get back to that normal training volume that they were. At previously. So there's certainly a, a physical component to a recovery week and there's also uh, the mental component to the recovery week. So that's how I think about recovery weeks or deloading weeks. Now the taper is very similar to a recovery week except it happens at the very end of the training plan. Now a lot of coaches will call the taper phase of training the peaking phase of training. It's essentially designed to get you or whoever we're talking about, to get the runner to a peak performance level. In other words, let's make sure you can run your best at the race at the end of your training season, which is presumably the most important race of your season. So typically a taper will include a fairly dramatic reduction in mileage, but not necessarily a big reduction in intensity. So if you're doing two workouts a week, you're probably still gonna do two workouts a week. Uh, we might reduce the volume of those workouts, but we're not really going to reduce the speed or the overall intensity of them because you know, at the end of this taper, we still want all that speed to still be there. And you know, the neuromuscular side of speed and your ability to to run really fast and really hard, that's one aspect of fitness that starts to erode fairly quickly. Once you start taking time off from running, as opposed to your general endurance, your aerobic capacity that tends to erode a little bit more slowly. So if we start abandoning the speed work during the taper, that is one of the first things that is going to start eroding for us. And then we're not going to be able to run fast at our goal race at the end of this taper. So, we're going to maintain the speed, but reduce the volume. And that is hopefully going to get us to a point where we can run a really good peak performance goal race at the end of our season.
0: Very, very well explained. And I think a lot of the questions that runners do have, and what I get asked a lot is what the duration of the taper should be, because some people taper for five days, some a week, some two weeks. And, is there any general guidelines based on the duration of the event? Like if it is a marathon compared to a half marathon, is there um, any specific guidelines of how long that taper process should be?
1: Yeah, generally speaking, I like to see a two to three week taper. And if you're training for an ultra marathon, you know especially the longer ultras, you know a hundred k or a hundred miles, you maybe want a three week taper because you really don't want to be carrying any extra fatigue into the race. And the assumption is that if you are training for, let's just say, a 100 mile ultra marathon, then you probably are doing very long, long runs. You're probably doing relatively high overall mileage. So you probably do need a little bit of extra time to fully recover from all that extra volume. Now, I actually like to see usually a two-week taper for most runners because I found that, you know, after about two weeks, you do start to see your your fitness, your overall endurance start to decline from detraining if you start dramatically reducing your overall work. So for most runners, I think the two-week taper is sufficient all the way up to the marathon. If we're doing anything longer than the marathon, you know, I might do a hybrid two-and-a-half-week taper where, you know, certain workouts, certain runs during that third week out might be reduced. But generally speaking, I love the the two- to three-week taper where, you know, we're reducing the volume, uh, it, we're... At the same time, we're maintaining the frequency of running. I think that's a really important caveat when we're talking about the taper, because I think a lot of times what happens is, you know, runners say to themselves, okay, I run six days a week. I'm going to cut my mileage by, say, 50% during this first taper week, and they only run three days a week. And that's not exactly the best way to do it just because, you know, there's certain value to running more frequently, certain aspects of muscle memory, certain aspects of, you know, getting your body to use fuel more efficiently and really fine-tuning that neuromuscular connection between your brain and your muscles. So the more you run, and that doesn't necessarily mean mileage, the more frequently you run too, you know, the more economy you're building, the more efficiently you're going to run. So I still like to see athletes running the same number of days per week. Maybe the week of their race, they cut it by a single day, but they're still going to be running five, six, seven days a week, whatever their normal frequency was beforehand. And and I think that's a really important distinction to make about the taper. But usually two to three week taper, let's maintain our intensity, but drop the volume. And typically, you know, I like to see a 20 to 50% reduction in your overall volume as you're heading into that taper.
0: Yeah, so maintaining the frequency, maintaining the intensity, but reducing the duration, uh, very good tips. How about for like a half marathon? Because a lot of the listeners are just like exclusively half marathon runners. And I'm often often told that a marathon just isn't double a half. There's just so much more at play. It's just a, a whole different beast. And so should we treat a taper differently when preparing for the half marathon?
1: I think the two-week taper is pretty ideal for the half-marathon distance. You know, once we start getting to the marathon, maybe we can start to work on a -a two-and-a-half or three-week taper. For the ultra distances, definitely, you know, a -a two-and-a-half or three-week taper. Um, But for anything like, I would say, 20 miles or less, then we're probably going to look at a two-week taper where, you know, for at least 14 days— before their goal race, they're going to start cutting down on the overall mileage that they're doing. Uh, And the other thing I didn't mention was actually uh, cross-training. So if you're doing any aerobic cross-training, like cycling, pool running, or aqua jogging, if you're doing the elliptical, anything like that, Now's a good time to completely remove that form of aerobic cross training from your training schedule just because, you know, that stuff is great in the base phase of training where you're getting a little bit of extra endurance. It's not as super specific to the running as your actual running, but nevertheless it's contributing to your overall fitness level. That's great in the early phase of your training cycle where It's okay to be a little bit more tired. It's okay to build endurance in a slightly less efficient way. But as we get closer to that race, we want to be much more efficient with our time. We don't want to be carrying any extra fatigue into the race. So now's a good time to also remove the cross training. Hmm.
0: I really like that. And one thing that you mentioned before is about when it comes to like the recovery weeks, and I guess the, the taper as well, is the adaptation response. And usually what I consider is like when day by day or like when you have a hard workout it's the recovery afterwards which means that you can adapt to that particular intensity and you sort of start to rebound and respond to that training load you don't get stronger during the hard training session you get stronger during the recovery phase after that particular hard session and I think if you look at this particular recovery week or the taper, you're sort of like looking at that same process, but just looking at over weeks rather than session by session, looking over week by week, which is a, a concept or like an idea that I hadn't really considered before, but it's really, um, really interesting to think about. It's actually making you stronger. It's the process of making you stronger.
1: Yeah. That's a really good point, Brody, because, you know, I think a lot of runners understand the concept of if I run a hard workout today, or if I do a long run today, the next day needs to be easy. And and that is a very micro approach to your training, where you are looking at single training sessions, you are looking at individual days. But what happens when you're looking at a block of a month of training that's pretty hard? Well, now we're just zooming out. Now we're not looking at a single day. We're looking at you know, more of a micro cycle, a longer period of training. But nevertheless, even in these longer time spans, these longer time periods that we're discussing, we should still build in that quote unquote, easy day. And instead of an easy day after a month of hard training, it might be an easy week. and And that's enough to really allow for that extra recovery and adaptation. But you're absolutely right. It's it's sort of just a different way of looking at the same stress adaptation response within the sport of running. You know, we want the stress, but then we need the recovery to get that adaptation response. We're actually looking at, we can do that on the micro level, and then we can zoom just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know I have just
0: updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow.
1: And also do it on the macro level on a longer time scale. Yeah,
0: I think runners struggle to actually look at that. And I think that's why running coaches are so important. They actually look at the macro level. But if you're a recreational runner just training for a race without much guidance. Uh, I think it's the the day by day, maybe the week by week that people tend to focus on and they don't really look at the month by month as a, a timescale that we struggle to grasp sometimes. And when you are doing this taper, you mentioned the overall reduction in volume and sort of the dropping the, the volume by like 10, 20, 30% here and there. Is there a certain runner that might favour the... reduction compared to the 30% reduction or like how may a runner choose what reduction to, to select?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I don't have a perfect answer. There's going to be a little bit of a trial and error that goes into making this decision. But I think there's two ways of thinking about it. There's number one, let's look at your overall fitness level going into the taper. So right before you start your taper, are you someone who's been running 120 kilometers a week, 140 kilometers a week, are you really putting in the volume, the mileage, the hard work? Are you someone who's been training competitively for 10 years? So we're not talking about the someone who's just started with running or even has just been consistent for a year or so. Do you have year after year after year of base building, of mileage building, of fitness building? If you're that kind of person the highly trained, more competitive athlete, you can probably get away with a shorter taper because your body hyper-responds to training and you've trained yourself to recover properly from all of this hard work. So if you simply take a you know, two-week taper, even heading into a marathon or heading into, say, a 50-kilometer ultra, you're probably gonna be just fine. And so the shorter taper does tend to favor the more highly trained fit runner. Um, Now, the other aspect to this is your genetics, how you sort of respond individually to, you know, something like a two-week taper versus a three-week taper. Now, I'm not a geneticist. I'm not in the lab, you know, looking at your your RNA and DNA and coming to conclusions about it because I'm simply not that smart. (laughs) I'm just a running (laughs) coach. But... (laughs) I think it's helpful just to understand that there are going to be individual differences in how people respond to tapers. And, you know, the you can go online and find, you know, massive essays on the value of a two-week taper and also on the value of a three-week taper. And, you know, you're going to have to sort of experiment a little bit, see what works for you, see what you respond best to, and also a little bit with regard to the goal race, you know, you might really prefer a three week taper heading into a marathon. Whereas if you're heading into a 5k, and that's your goal race for the season, you might prefer a two week taper. And, you know, it it could potentially change a little bit based on the goal race. And so it does tend to uh, favor a little bit of trial and error, a little bit of experimentation, but you know, what type of running training doesn't favor a bit of experimentation? Am I right?
0: That's right, yeah. And I do think kind of the best tailored answer is to trial and error, just have the experiences to trial different things. And I've seen in my experience, it's it's the experienced runner who's been running for years and years and done several races that know, that can kind of hone in on that and say, I respond best to just a one-week tape or I respond best to a 30% reduction vo- reduction in volume. I respond, I've, I've seen like those really who feel the need to run the day before a marathon other their, otherwise their legs are like really stiff and they, they just don't seem to respond that well. So they need to go for a really easy run the day before their race. And that is all just wildly variable. I've seen so many people have so many different opinions and unfortunately it just requires a lot of marathons and a lot of races of the same type to try and adjust and make those, um, adjust those dials a bit to see what naturally, follows your individual preferences would you i guess for those who are less experienced when they do try say their first or second or third marathon if they on the race day if they don't feel like they're in if they don't feel really fresh or they don't feel like they've really achieved a a peak performance or like come the the starting of that event if they're not feeling really up to scratch would that warrant like a dramatic shift in uh, approach to the taper compared to if they have a really nice, they do feel really fresh and they do feel like their taper was adequate. Maybe it requires a little micro adjustment, like a really subtle shift to see if that's even better next time. And so that's where you kind of work out the degrees of the fluctuations in taper when you're trialing it through that trial and error process.
1: Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right, where you sort of just have to go through that trial and error process, see how you feel, and then the next time around, make some micro-adjustments. You know, if it's something like, you know, you incorporated a one-week taper before your marathon, maybe a micro-adjustment isn't needed, and you need to actually increase your taper to two weeks. You know, that's, I would call, a, a fairly sizable adjustment to your taper the next time around. Um You know, it can also be a little bit difficult to pin the blame on the taper, especially the longer the race. So, for example, if you run a marathon and it doesn't quite go as well as you were hoping it went, it would be very tempting to say, well, I need to taper less or I need to taper more or I just need to change the structure of my taper a little bit when the more likely culprit is likely the, all the training that happens before the, the actual taper itself. So, you know, this is maybe a scenario where having a coach is an excellent idea because your coach is going to, you know, get to know you as an athlete, as you're going through the training process and have a hunch or, you know, some additional information on whether or not a two or three week taper is more appropriate for you. And then I I think one of the biggest values of a coach is once you run your goal race, and maybe it doesn't go well, then you can do a postmortem and really sit down and look at, you know, what went well in our training, what didn't go well in our training, how are you feeling in the weeks leading up to the goal race, you know, what are all the inputs that could have affected your goal race, but, you know, I I think it's a good general rule, Brody, to only incorporate micro adjustments, you know, from, from season to season, unless you know, you're, you're always getting injured. You're getting like these major season ending injuries, you know, a couple times a year. Maybe we need a big overhaul of how you train in that case. But if you're not getting injured all the time, you're mostly hitting your goals, but you think there's room for improvement. Then I'm much more in favor of these micro adjustments because, because then you can, you can sort of measure things a little bit better. You're like, okay, I'm going to change, you know, these two small things and see how I feel. And then you iterate on that season after season after season. So it does take some time. And I think a lot of runners, you know, we're the type A sort of folks who want things now. And we like to, you know, put the big numbers in our training log. And, you know, we we don't like to wait. We're, We're sort of an impatient group of people. But unfortunately, the sport of running is very much a patience sport. It really does prioritize and and reward patience in its athletes. So I think runners should, should definitely have this, you know, multi-month perspective. You know, we were talking earlier about how it can be helpful to zoom out and look at a couple months of training at a time. You know, a very similar strategy is, you know, let's not worry about our weekly mileage. Let's worry about our monthly mileage. And that's another fun way of, of helping yourself think a little bit more long-term. And it also helps you think in terms of you know, multiple seasons at once. You know, if if you have a goal race that you want to run in December and you're listening to this in February, well, you have a couple seasons to go until your December goal race. You're not going to start training for that now. And so it really helps you set up your seasons appropriately and then also play with and experiment with the taper in those seasons leading up to, you know, that big race you want to run at the end of December.
0: It's a huge mind shift, especially for recreational runners who aren't part of like a, a running team or have a running coach to to look on that time scale. But actually, I'm just thinking if someone is preparing for a marathon, like that's all they focus on. They think this is my one big race for my whole life. That's like, it's how much it matters to them and they just want to get their best performance. But if someone just says, you know what, I'm going to give it my best go, but this is just one out of like 10 in the next five years i'm going to experiment with and you know just have a look at that time scale and use it as a like try and get it's it is still your a race and it is still trying to get your best performance but using this as a a, this is still just another experiment just like my next marathon will be will just be another experiment each time i'll learn a little bit more about myself each time i'll try something a little bit differently and it's going to make me better in the long run for it i think that's uh, a big mindset shift that I rarely see. I rarely see people that have that particular time scale, but people want to run for the rest of their lives. They want this running longevity. They want to perform, you know, year by year, sometimes decade by decade, but, you know, it requires a little bit more of that patience and that, um, that attitude, which I really love. The recovery week, I want to hone in a little bit more on the second half of this interview And I'll start off with a a question from one of our patrons, Sam Todd. She asks, are the recovery weeks required if you're in that base training mode or is it just when you're training for an event or in a race? What do you have for Sam?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question because it kind of gets to, you know, when is a recovery week actually appropriate? I would say a recovery week is appropriate when you are training hard. When you are actually pushing the envelope with your overall effort, whether that's mileage, whether that's you know adding in a ton of cross training to supplement your mileage, whether you are you know strength training in the gym twice a week for the first time ever, and your your body's you know still getting used to that, or whether you're doing a little bit of everything and you're starting to run harder workouts, or uh, you know getting more consistent with your long run and starting to get up there. So no matter what you're doing in your training, you could be pushing the envelope in a lot of different ways. And no matter what those ways are, I think if you've been doing it for more than three to six weeks, it's probably a good idea to take a recovery week. And so that answer is sort of independent of whether you're training for a race or whether you're in the base building phase of training. It's really just about the overall effort of your training in general. So You know, I remember personally, I used to have summer base building seasons where I was training really hard and I was trying to essentially hit training PRs. I was trying to run the most I ever did in a given week. And then in a given month, I was trying to add more cross training with cycling and pool running on top of all that mileage than I ever was before. And I wasn't running any races. The overall intensity of my training was very low, But about once a month, I needed some easier training time to allow myself to recover from that. And then allow myself, of course, to be ready for the intensity once the actual season of racing began, which in this case was my cross country season in the fall. So even during that base building phase of training, I needed a little bit more recovery because I was really pushing the envelope. Now, you could not be doing all that cross training, you could not be setting mileage PRs, but if you're running hard workouts and you're running races, you know, even, you know, 4 to 6 races gearing up to your goal race, even if you're only running one or two in addition to all those workouts, well, the intensity of your training is fairly high. So, I would I would include recovery weeks in in all of these examples just because you know no matter which which one we're talking about the right. athlete is still pushing the envelope they're still trying to do more they're still trying to go faster they're still stressing themselves with you know different types of training stimuluses or stimuli mm-hmm. rather so it's certainly something that we have to look a little bit more at the overall workload or difficulty of our training rather than on sort of the phase of training that we're in.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. And you mentioned
1: in terms of frequency
0: of a recovery week happening, it's, you know, you sort of had examples of like three to six weeks and I guess it just depends on how much you're pushing, what the overall intensity is. Should someone be judging the frequency of their recovery weeks based on their physical, like how they feel in their body, based on how their mental, um, motivation levels are, um, based on their, yeah, their psychological and physical states, should they be saying, oh, I feel really run down this week, or I feel really tired and stiff and sore this week. Maybe next week should be my recovery week, or is that just being, um, or are we too late? Should we be a little bit more preemptive with our approach?
1: Yeah, I think a good hybrid approach is probably the best way to think about this because, you know, I could sit here and say, it's a good idea to take a recovery week every, I might amend my earlier answer to 4 to 8 weeks. 3 seems a little on the on the short side. But let's just say mm-hmm. 4 to 8 weeks. Now, you you might do 5 weeks of of hard training and really really need a recovery week because subjectively in your opinion, you are tired, you are feeling sore, you're feeling run down, you're looking at your training schedule and you're like I don't know how I'm going to be able to run this mileage and complete these workouts because I don't feel very good. If you're in that situation, no matter what your training plan says, you should probably take a recovery week. So I think it's helpful to understand the guidelines to know that, you know, maybe every four to eight weeks roughly is a good time to take a recovery week based on you know, the overall difficulty of my training, and I think more importantly, based on how you're feeling. So I do put a lot of value in how my athletes are feeling on not just a day-to-day basis, because if we're talking, you know, the day after they just did a very hard workout, they probably think they need a recovery week, but they might just need a good night's sleep and then an easy run the next day, and they'll bounce back much more quickly. But there's certainly value in in taking... The general principle, and then using your subjective opinion about how you're feeling on you know a weekly basis to influence your decision on whether or not to take a recovery week so yeah, I mean, I think that kind of gets back to the experimentation and the very subjective nature of things, but uh, it, it does depend a little bit but as long as you're listening to your body and, you know, if you really feel like you need a recovery week or or even just a recovery couple days, you know, you could certainly take an extra day off, cut the volume on one of your, your base runs by... 50% or so. And that might be enough to get you back on track, get you back feeling the way that you think you should be feeling. So maybe you don't need a full recovery week, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's a great idea to listen to your body and to give it what it needs, because that's really the only thing that it's going to respond to.
0: Yeah. When you're talking about the subjective listening to your body side of things, it probably comes on the, the back end of the recovery cycle as well, because not only should we be listening beforehand to be like, okay, maybe I need to take a couple of days or a week off based on how I'm feeling both um, emotionally, physiologically, and psychologically. But also once that cycle has been repeated, once you've done that recovery week, maybe just having a, another check-in on how your body is to see how well you've responded to that recovery week. I've actually seen some people take a recovery week and then feel a bit worse off. It's kind of harder to get back into the groove of things um maybe that it was too abrupt maybe it was too much of a load maybe it was too long i'm not entirely sure with that but that's where it might take a bit of experimenting and sort of tuning in with your body once again to see if that process was in the most efficient way possible
1: yeah that's a really good point and i, and I think you know part of part of that, there's, I think, two things there. There's number one, the more recovery weeks that you take and the more experience that you have, you know, again, we're kind of getting back to the experimentation side of running. You know, I think every runner should be a little scientist and see how they respond to things season after season. But you should know going into a recovery week how you should be feeling after a certain amount of time. You know, if you're, if, if you're, a fairly seasoned runner, you're going to start to know when you really need that recovery week. And on the other side of that coin, you're going to start to know how you should feel at the end of a recovery week, not just physically, but also psychologically. So ideally at the beginning of, of the training week, uh, you know, you're feeling a bit run down, you're feeling a little sore, you're feeling a little tired, maybe you got a little something going on with, you know, your knee or your leg that you want to address during this easier week of of training. And at the end of the recovery week, hopefully your body has bounced back. You're feeling a little bit better. You know, you're always going to feel like you're doing some training. So I don't want runners to think that, you know, they're going to feel like they just took a month off from running and, and they're just walking on clouds, but you know, they should feel relatively rested and maybe even more importantly, psychologically ready to get back into the training. Now, You mentioned some runners feeling a little bit off as they get back into their normal workload. That can be a little bit normal, sort of like, you know, after you take two weeks off after a goal race, let's say, and you get back into running, you feel a little clunky, a little uncoordinated. You feel like you've lost all of your fitness. But you know it takes a lot longer to lose your fitness than, than just a week or two. And with a recovery week, you're not actually taking time off. You're just reducing the overall workload of your training. So it's not enough time to lose almost any fitness at all. You know, you're certainly going to maintain your fitness. So runners shouldn't worry about that. Some of it might just be a little bit of muscle memory loss. Some of it might just might be, you know, I'm not used to running. You know, I haven't run this pace in two weeks or something similar to that. So as long as, uh, as long as you can kind of, you know, get the rust off your legs a little bit, so to speak, as you get back into that normal training load, you should be, you should be just fine. And the other thing that i will add too, is hopefully if you are following a good training plan, or if you have a good coach who understands you as an athlete, they're doing a lot of this on the front end. They're doing this for you by building training that does a pretty good job of guessing how you're going to feel because that's sort of the the secret to being a good coach and prescribing the right kinds of training is I am sort of looking into the future with my crystal ball and predicting how you're going to feel on a given day. That's why I give you a day off after a hard workout. That's why we have a recovery week after four weeks of hard training. So the coach should be building a lot of this into the training plan. But then, of course, it's up to the athlete to communicate, you know, I'm responding to this really well or I'm not responding to this really well. And that open dialogue from the athlete to the coach is really important to not only get the training right today, get the training right next week. But also if you're going to work with a coach for a fairly long period of time, they're going to keep this in mind the next time around so that every cycle you go through with this coach, it's going to be more fine tuned to what works best for you as an individual. So lots of different things to think about when it comes to uh, their recovery week and and how to structure that.
0: Yeah. And outside the scope of today's episode, but if you're recovery week isn't really going well or your taper isn't going well there's other things that we need to consider other than just you know your volume your intensity your um frequency we're talking about like stress sleep nutrition like all these things that help you recover all those recovery aids uh, might be a little bit affected and you know could definitely impact how your body is feeling through that particular process Uh, i thought i would get just a clarification um so You, you you're mentioning with the taper that the duration, the frequency of your running should main, should be maintained. The intensity of those sessions should be maintained and the, uh, the, the frequency maintained the intensity maintained, but the duration should be reduced. Uh, when it comes to the recovery week, we're reducing the intensity and we're reducing the, um, duration. Is that right? What do we do with the frequency? Is that that's similar as well?
1: Yeah, so a lot of those taper rules can sort of be thrown in the trash bin for for the recovery week um, because we're not really getting ready for a peak performance like we are at the end of a taper. So a lot of the things that we're doing in the taper are designed to maintain our muscle tension. You know, we want to feel springy. We want to feel like our legs are two little pogo sticks and they're responsive. They're fast. They're quick. We feel light on our feet. And a lot of that is maintained by the intensity in our training, not just the workouts, but you know, are we doing regular strides? You know, those two things, the workouts and the strides are really going to help us be comfortable running fast and and feel good running fast. Now, in a recovery week, we don't necessarily need to prioritize high muscle tension for our goal race because the the goal of a recovery week is really just extra recovery, extra adaptation, and a psychological break from hard training. We are not trying to go after that peak performance just yet. So we can reduce the intensity during a recovery week. We can also reduce the frequency of running during a recovery week. So, you know, I I don't like to do anything too dramatic during any even a recovery week or a taper phase of training, which is usually two or three weeks, I don't like to do anything super dramatic. During a recovery week, I might reduce the number of days that an athlete is running by one. So we go from five days to four, six days to five. Uh, If we're gonna do two workouts, then we might just do one workout. Uh, If we've been doing longer aerobic workouts, I might actually give them a faster workout, but it's gonna be dramatically shorter. And so it's gonna be, very different stimulus. It's not going to have the sort of deep fatigue that, you know, a long marathon pace or tempo workout might incur on the athlete. You know, instead, it might be a relatively short fartlek workout or, uh, you know, a hill workout, something to give them a little little bit of something different. And, you know, the workload of the workout itself isn't going to be so high that it takes days and days and days to recover from. But yeah, they are very different, the recovery week and the taper. So we can treat them a little bit differently.
0: Hmm. I feel like I kind of need to ask this question because I'm putting my, my mind in the, in the position of the listeners. There may be some people out there that don't want to take the recovery week because they feel like they're going to lose fitness and they want momentum and they want to put in their best effort and they feel like that's the, the way to achieve it, just to work harder. Um, what's your advice? It can be as, as brief and quick as it needs to be, but if see, people fear that they're going to lose their fitness if they try to have a recovery week, what's your response to that?
1: <laughs> first, I'm going to giggle a little bit. Um, mm. The next thing I'm going to do is, is say, you know, first of all, we, we did talk earlier about listening to your body. If you are an athlete who does know your body, and, and that's a very subjective thing, only you can answer that, and you really don't think that you need a recovery week, then... Maybe you don't need a recovery week. Again, it's only if you're training really hard. If you're training really hard, you're pushing the envelope, you probably do need one at some point, four to eight weeks, You know, somewhere in that time frame. Um, now, if you're worried about losing fitness, then we luckily just don't have to do that from the, the, the scientific side of things. You know, it takes two to three weeks for us to start losing our aerobic fitness. And that's two to three weeks of no aerobic exercise. Now, we do start to lose, you know, some of our VO2 max capabilities. We start to lose some of our running economy and more neuromuscular fitness shorter than that. So we start to lose that after about a week of no running. Now that's a week or more of no running. Now a recovery week includes running. So we are not going to be losing fitness during this time period. And, you know, even when it comes to the things we lose most quickly, like that neuromuscular side of things, like the, the muscle memory of being able to run really fast and have it just feel very smooth, very graceful. Even though that does start to erode after about a week or so, you know, our recovery week is going to include a workout. Our, our recovery week should include strides or hill sprints or, or something very similar to those. You know, in other words, a, a turnover sort of exercise to help us work on leg speed, but in a way that's very different from a workout. You know, I like to say that there's a very different, you know, the, the difference between running fast and running hard is huge and there's a very clear distinction between the two. So in a recovery week, we still want to be running fast, but we don't really want a lot of hard running. Strides or hill sprints, if you're used to them, if you're adapted to them, can give us the experience with running fast in a way where we're playing with speed, we're touching speed, but it's not done in a way that it's going to make us very fatigued, or it's you know, we're not ignoring it altogether, which would result in us losing that capability over time. So for the runner who's a little worried about losing fitness, you're certainly not going to lose any aerobic fitness. And if your taper, I'm sorry, your recovery week is actually structured properly, you're not going to lose any of that neuromuscular fitness as well. So to me, it's, it's kind of a, uh, it's a non-starter. You're not going to lose it at all. We shouldn't have to worry about it. And it reminds me that my job as a coach is is very rarely to push people very hard. It's usually to to pull them back a little bit from doing too much. And usually that's actually a very good thing. Mm, I'm not surprised. Uh,
0: the As we wrap up, any mistakes that people make with their taper? Any misconceptions that you see Circulating around the running community, anything that we haven't touched on today. I know we've covered so much, but anything that that springs to mind that we haven't quite touched on.
1: Yeah, there's a couple things that I think runners should keep in mind. A few quick tips here. Uh, number one, I've experienced a lot of runners who don't taper at all. You know, they don't like the feeling of it. There's certainly that phenomenon of the taper crazies, where you know you're so used to training very hard. This is particularly true for you know, a a more experienced runner, a more competitive runner who's always in that training process, right? Well, when you start to taper, you're doing something that's a little bit different. You're doing something that you're not used to. And so you start to go a little crazy. You start, you know, second guessing your fitness and and what you're doing with your life. (laughs) But, you know, so the, the biggest mistake I think is to not include a taper at all. You know, I think there's, Some interesting research and anecdotal evidence coming out soon that, you know, maybe the really long tapers aren't necessary. You know, maybe the shorter tapers are all we need. But generally speaking, we still need a taper at some point um, at the end of that training cycle. Uh, Another big mistake that I see folks make with the taper is, you know, this, this idea that, hey, I'm not running as much. My training is a lot easier right now. So let me take on this new project at work. Let me, you know, try to go on sixteen dates over these over the course of these <laughs> two weeks to try to find my next partner. Um, <laughs> you know, let let me try to do something very stressful. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get my taxes done. You know, the day before my marathon because I don't have any running planned. These aren't good ideas because they're still very stressful. You want to have that taper period be a time of as little stress as possible. Now, of course, we're not all pro runners. We don't get to make this decision for us all the time. Sometimes we have stress just thrown at us. But as much as you can, try to be proactive and plan stressful things to fall outside of your taper because, you know, to the body, to the mind, stress is stress. And if we're not able to recover from our running and our training because we're dealing with so much other stress, then that's sort of. Defeats part of the purpose of a taper, and we're going to be carrying some extra fatigue into our goal race. So, we certainly don't want to do that. And then, finally, what I'll say is you know, we we talked about this a little bit earlier this idea of being peaked for a maximum great performance at the end of a season. Now, that does require a certain amount of intensity to be maintained over the course of the taper, and I think a Very similar mistake as not doing a taper at all is almost the opposite is, you know, taking the entire week leading up to your goal race and then not running at all, you know, just taking that week completely off. And what I've found is so many runners, you know, 99% of runners are going to feel pretty terrible after a week off and then they line up on the starting line for their goal race. And a big reason why is. The neuromuscular side of their fitness level. This is the brain's ability to communicate with your muscles. And, you know, think of running as a skill sport, just like, say, basketball or soccer. If you want to shoot a really good field goal or be able to kick the ball in the net from, you know, 30 meters out you really need to be good with the ball and and to practice that skill almost on a daily basis. And if you don't, well, your skill is gonna start to decline over time, of course. The same thing happens with our running. Our running economy will decline and our ability to, to feel graceful and smooth and coordinated when we're out there running starts to decline. So that's why we still wanna do some running during that taper. And we definitely wanna do a workout the week of our race, even if we're running a marathon, let's do something short. Let's do something, you know, maybe we're running 5k or 10k pace, but we're only doing a, sh- a very short fartlek workout. The goal is not to make ourselves tired. The goal is just to get some experience running fast to maintain that aspect of our fitness. And we also wanna include strides or something very similar that week of the race as well. That's gonna maintain your muscle tension, so your, uh, your ability to store tension in your muscles and then release it, sort of like a, a spring or a coil. And you know those are really important aspects of our fitness leading up to a goal race. So let's make sure we're doing some running. We definitely wanna decrease the mileage. We wanna maintain our workout and our strides, but we wanna make them relatively easy. And you know, at the end of the day, we still actually want to do a taper. We don't want to train through the goal race and we don't want to take the whole week off. So let's have that nice middle ground taper. I think that's the most effective option. Jason, your expertise, your knowledge is absolutely well
0: class. Um, uh, the detailed information, how practical all this is and how sensible it all is, it just, Suits this podcast absolutely perfectly. If people wanted to continue following you, your work that you do, what social media um, should they go on? What websites? Um,
1: what What's your advice for them if they want to learn more about your work? Oh, thanks, Brody. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I produce a lot of content for runners to help you guys achieve whatever goal it is that you have. So strengthrunning.com is our home base and you can find... All the different training programs that we offer we have a variety of free email courses that are about certain topics like strength training for runners injury prevention for runners nutrition for runners uh and then our youtube channel at youtube.com strength running uh, is also updated weekly with new videos on you know how to build your mileage you know even how to structure a taper i've certainly done a couple of videos on that Uh, strength training workouts, core workouts, all kinds of great stuff. So however your audience would best like to connect with me, I'd be happy to uh, chat with them about their running, answer any questions that they have. Um, But those are probably the three best places to find me, whether that's strengthrunning.com, the Strength Running Podcast, or the Strength Running YouTube channel.
0: Perfect. I'll include all those in the show notes. So if you're listening now, you can just go straight to that. um, Click on the link and it'll be You'll be directed straight to there. Jason, thanks once again. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Thanks, Brody. This was a real pleasure.
0: And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based, long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.